That'd be a great place to have an affair. It's decorated like a sex dungeon. Mm. Apparently, me and you are doing the pre-show banter, Chin. Are we? Yeah. Just what should we talk about? Steve's on the phone. Who's he, who's he speaking to? I don't know. Possibly a debt collector. He's left the he's left the room, so it's got to be either sexual or he owes money to someone. Could be ordering a hit. Hopefully, it's not on us. Who do you think it'd probably be on? Who would he want to? Who do, who do you want to take uh, out? Do you think? Talk, talk uh, anyone who criticises mm. VAR. Don't don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't we have some? Uh, you remember last week? Uh, somebody asked. It was Joe Highland asked for. Uh, comedy questions to which the answer is not Sean Dyche. Yeah. Uh, do we, do we have any? Manager most likely to take to carry out a targeted targeted assassination is Mikel Arteta. <laughs> There's one. Mm. Uh, it's tricky, you know. Does it, a lot of the ones that Joe suggested, Steve Bruce could be quite a good answer for. Um, Daniel Farker, I feel, is rich comic material. Well, manager manager most likely to lead his followers into a jungle. Yeah, it's Daniel Farker. In Congress, his look and his voice are. Yes. He's got a sweet, sweet voice, hasn't he? He sounds like a really nice man, Daniel mm, Franca. He does. But he looks like he is the bouncer at a club who really, really wants you to kick off. He wants to fight you. Yeah. Mm. Frustrated with the way his life's gone, he takes his, his anger out on, on late night revelers. Yeah, on he the faces like, of drunken revelers. He looks, he looks like that guy, Daniel Farker. Yeah, but he's an excellent tactician. I mean, equally, Nuno, I mean, Nuno Espiritu, Espiritu Santa, mm. you could see leading a cult, I would say. All of my suggestions are a bit darker than... They are quite. They're not very uplifting, are they? person who owns a, a flat roof pub. Was that, Sean, that was that Sean that Dyche, was Sean Dyche, Dyche, yeah. A flat roof pub, that's an interesting... Man, yeah. Manager most likely to have carried out his own loft extension. Um, loft extension? But I, I don't think that's a criticism. I think if, if Sean Dyche could to carry out a, a loft renovation that yeah. would be um, that's a that's, that's a plus that's praiseworthy. That's a, it speaks yeah. to, to both his yeah. his prowess but his grittiness so well, Chinch you are a decker Actu- and a tree fella actually I, 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 indeed I am Nuno, Nuno Espirito Santo looks like he knows his way around some basic carpentry that's what I would say do you not think would you say that if he didn't have the beard no I feel like that the beard is very much related to, to manual if he, skills. If he didn't have the beard, I would say that he looked like manager most likely to spend his time doing mindfulness, mindfulness meditation. That would be. But then I did. Or manager yeah. most likely to have been an extra in life of Brian. Yes. Yeah. 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 You can um, see him running through the streets with a shoe in his hand. Couldn't I, you? I watched Life of Brian again recently. It's extraordinarily good, isn't it? It was just fantastic. It, it and is. I think it was one uh, when I was about seventeen, eighteen, when I was in the habit of watching films multiple times. Yeah. Um, it's funny how impressionable you are at that, that age, and you tend to remember lines from movies that you watched when you were that, that old mm-hmm. now, but you can't remember stuff from from something you watched five minutes ago. That's because all modern films are rubbish. Manager most likely to have been modern an extra. Life is rubbish. That was a good album. Yeah. M- manager most likely to have been an extra in the bill. Sean Dyche. <laughs> <laughs> no, just Sean Dyche would have had a major part. Yes. Extra. Oh, an extra. Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder. You could see Chris Wilder. If you put him in a tracksuit, a shell suit. Next to Tosh and Reg, just filling in a form at the desk in, 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 in the nick. Yeah. yeah. He's been caught helping himself in the local little. No, I'm thinking oh. of him as a, as a minor officer. Oh, as an officer? Yeah, I think it would be, be a P- PC Chris Wilder. Ah. Do they help themselves at the local little or not? Some, so, I mean, some of them, there's a lot of corruption. He's back, Steve's back, Steve's everyone. Back. Steve's back. Have we started without me? Yeah. Well, we had to because Rory's got somewhere I've better got, to be. I've got another podcast to record. Uh, and as we well know, back to the bill, that if you are an extra in the bill, you are also the following week an extra in casualty. And um, I'd imagine Chris Wilder could do both. Did I tell you that w- when, um, when Kate was pregnant, that w- in our NCT class, they told us we had to talk to the bump, who's the bump that subsequently became Edward. Mm. Uh, and I ran out of things to say to him after a couple of weeks, so I d- just used to p- play him the Bill theme tune to make him dance. Do 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 do. That's what. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work. He he, d- he has no respect for law and order. This is Seth. He's the podcast where four friends talk football over food. <laughs> I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth, eventually solid like meek, solid like meek, <laughs> solid like meek, <laughs> <laughs> solid like meat and two veg. Rory Smith, hipster like a sushi croissant, such a thing exists. And Andy Hinchcliffe, brittle like, well, brittle. The oh. food is Stroopwaffles. My wife Gemma has been on another trip to Holland and has brought back a delightful selection, although two of the three kinds of Stroopwaffle have been distributed elsewhere. So we have the apple version. They're, they're delicious. They're very thin waffles, but very heavy. Mm. It's like they're made of lead, mm. but really tasty lead. That's largely caramel. Is it? It's hefty caramel. Is it? Yeah. And they are incredibly tasty. So that's the food. And the football is chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today? Uh, is it 
Stab in the dark, captaincy. Yes. yes. Today we are talking yes. about captaincy. How important is the player that wears the armband? What makes a good one? And why did Fabio Capello think English football was way too obsessed with who should be the national team skipper? It's all to come. We are talking today about captaincy. 450 professional games, Hinchcliffe. Captain on how many occasions? None. One. Get in touch with the podcast. Setpiecemenu really? yes. at gmail.com is our email address. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. There seems to be a theme developing in the correspondence, by the way, Chinch. People mm. seem to want to point out something that they've seen relating to you from other publications. Okay. Alex Barillaro has emailed to say this. Dear Setpiece Menu, first off, the obligatory fawning over the pod. I've listened since episode 33, and I am a dedicated participant of the annual Football Fun Quizzes. There's one then. Although I'm still yet to determine why, he says. My Should email... we get him to replace Chinch next year? <laughs> yes, <that's right. laughs> Although they won't be annual because we've run out. Uh, my email concerns an article I discovered from the Liverpool Echo regarding Everton's greatest Andes. It included... <laughs> that is a low bonus for content. Please tell me he doesn't even get into Everton's oh, come greatest on. It did include one Mr Hinchcliffe, of whom they say, during Everton's renaissance under Joe Royal, Andy Hinchcliffe earned a reputation as having one of the deadliest left foots in English football. Corner kicks were greeted with a huge sense of expectation at Goodison Park mm-hmm. as the Mancunian would whip in crosses towards the heads of colleagues and with the likes of Duncan Ferguson, Paul Rideout and Dave Watson to aim for, they were a potent weapon. A member of the 19 95 FA Cup winning side they've done their research it's hard to find out about Hinchcliffe <laughs> made 227 appearances for the Blues between 1990 and 1997 he ends by saying I'll be honest hearing Chinch's left foot being described as deadly by anyone other than Chinch was quite bizarre but he was in esteemed company alongside Andy Rankin who? he was far before Alex's time far before any of our times Andy Gray and Andy Johnson there hasn't been that many Andes. That's, that's an inter- that could be, a, it could be a story you could write. Where are football's There's, Andes? No, but Everton's Andes. Everton seems to be a club that don't like to sign Andes. I wonder why that is. I wonder why that, <laughs> yeah. since they did, signed me. No, Andy, Andy Johnson, Andy, Andy Johnson's, Johnson's the after most you. recent. Oh, was he? Didn't yes, you have yeah. a theory once that there's not been as many football Smiths as there should have yeah, been? No, I, yeah, I, I think that, there are f- that the Smith name is, un- is weirdly underrepresented in football. There aren't that many Smiths. I would have there's loads in the phone book. There, you, well, I, mean, I don't know if anyone's got a phone book anymore. People still have phone books? People still have phone books. Yeah, yeah, of course Google, they do. Yeah. Jesus. They just come in a plastic bag now. They do. Which so is they can sling it on your um, doorstep. Come on, Thompson. Be better. This is also about Everton, and it comes from Ahmed Youssef, and he says, Hi, guys. I was listening to your recent episode on the last decade of the Premier League, which was number 160 for all those who haven't got that far. It got me thinking about the previous decade to that, and the work that David Moyes did at Everton as perennial fifth-place finishes, apart from that one season pipping Liverpool, who upstaged them by winning the Champions League. Ha! He says, in an unnecessarily trolley way. If we look at the ways in which Leicester, and to a lesser extent, Wolves have recruited well and created structures that maximise their capacity. Did Everton, all those years finishing outside the top four, underachieve? Did they maximise their time as the fifth best team? And now with hindsight, is the job that Moyes did at Everton seen differently compared to the work that's been done by Rodgers and Nuno? Basically, did Everton waste a decade. Love the podcast. That's from Ahmed. That's a really interesting thought. I don't know. I, I don't have a quick, snappy response mm. to that. The money, the money wasn't quite as no, um, no. No, but exponentially that means, massive but that, but as it is that means now. The, yeah. the gap would have been smaller between them and those and the others. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a so what years we're looking at. That decade is 2000 where to 2010. 2000, no, that was the decade, but I think the, the yeah. Moyes period is sort of 2003 to 2000. Eight or nine, I guess, is yeah. Pete Moyes. Uh, here is an email about pod number 161 about the perceived difference in coverage between Manchester City and Liverpool. We have had a lot. It is from Martin Robertson, who is an Arsenal fan. He's weighed in with this. Just listen to your great pod. And he says great with uh, inverted commas so that we all know it's that he joke. means great, yeah. obviously. Oh, okay. uh, on uh, club slash media bias and was quite interested in the point that you made about pundits being held up as club ambassadors. I'm very guilty of throwing hissy fits every time an ex-Arsenal player is on screen slagging the club off for being terrible even though we are. Me and my dad are constantly shouting at the uh, screen slash radio for these players to be more supportive. And if they aren't, they clearly have an agenda against the club. Overly negative players and reasoning are Paul Merson, he says, booted out of the club by Wenger. Tony Adams, not asked back to be coach. Alan Smith, sad how his time ended slash more a Leicester fan. And Stuart Robson, and there's just lots of... um, Symbols that suggest a rude word. The list goes on. We know when our club are bad, but only us fans are allowed to say it. Ex-players need to be 100% supportive and anything else will have me screaming, you're biased against my club. So he kind of understands why he's like that and then goes on to be absolutely like mm. that. Yeah, no, it's, I, I wonder whether it's... The thing with the former players, we, we, which, which we've touched on a lot, it, it's, I, get, I get that that's what fans want. I just think that that's not really what ex-players are being employed for by broadcasters. It baffles me a little bit that the clubs have decided, 
some clubs have decided that is why those players are there. I get why fans want them to be want them to be like that, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but then I would have thought it would be in the same way as I can criticise my family. Uh, it feels to me like you should ha- almost have a free pass if you're an ex-player. You should be able to you should be able to speak truth to to the tribe because you you are a member of it. And much as a former player is an asset to a broadcaster or a publication talking about their former club and things are going well, they are an even greater yes. asset when things are going badly because like you say, you know, it, you, you can badmouth your own family but you can't start yeah. badmouthing somebody else's. Except Hughes. But the, um, the <laughs> like, like when BT decided that, that Paul Scholes' main job was to insult Manchester United and they get him on to do like a, a Leicester-West Ham game and you just see Jake Humphrey, the, the cards slowly whirring and... Um, and thinking, right, how do we, how do we get Strollsy to insult Manchester United even though they're not in any way relevant to this? Mm-hmm. A West Ham better than Manchester United, Paul? <laughs> yes, they are. Finally, to two short items that provide a self-serving route to another episode of Out of Context Reacher. First from our New York City correspondent, Ray George, who sends in a topic suggestion, which we're always very happy to receive, but he also adds this postscript to that email. P.S. Was thrilled to hear Andy's first Premier League match on NBC a few weeks ago. Mm. Whether or not you received any feedback from NBC, you were terrific, he says. Really? He has a suggestion, though. Perhaps if you throw in a few Lee Child references during commentary. What a header! Like Reacher taking out a wife abuser. And you will (laughs) Ah, achieve, he says, legendary status. And also from Beck Richmond, who you remember has a husband called Bear. Yeah, we like Beck. Uh, Her email has the subject title, You're not telling me that this isn't because of Chinch. And then she has a link to the story about Lee Child becoming a judge for 2020's coveted Booker Prize. Really? Yes. He is judging others like we judge him. And so it is with uh, that as the backdrop that we turn once again to our in-house audiobook star. We ask you to find a passage from one of Lee Child's Jack Reach novels, take a photo and send it to us. It doesn't need explaining. It certainly doesn't need context because here we go with another edition of Out of Context Reacher. It comes from Simon Anderson. And I'm sure this is from Blue Moon, the, the latest book. Yes. Simon says this. Yes. Hi, folks. Great pod as usual uh, this week. Heard your chat about whether you thought Reacher would like football on my way to work this morning uh, then during my lunch came across this reference to soccer it is also from the most recent book blue moon uh, but a little further on from your previous out of context feature says simon not any dialogue so there sadly won't be much opportunity for andy to again demonstrate why all those years on the treatment table were wasted when he could have been acting mm. however i liked the description and it got me thinking that reacher if he played football would very much be in the vinnie jones mold of a player very physical not a huge amount of talent and more there just to hurt other people he would have fit very well into the crazy gang kind regards from simon Anderson and Harrogate, here is your latest out of context. The, the football reference, the soccer reference, it, when I say it, it's not, it's not the greatest, is it, really? But it, it does reference soccer. So here we go. A determined nod from Abby. OK, let's do it, he said. Hogan drove the rest of the block and made a left at the end. A block ahead in the new direction were two guys on the corner, on the far sidewalk. Black suits, white shirts. Previously the far left corner, now the near right corner. Symmetrical. They were standing with their backs to the block they were guarding, looking outward like good sentries should. What they saw was one of their own cars cruising towards them. A black Lincoln. Indistinct faces behind the windshield. Black glass in the back. It made the left in front of them, into the cross street. Gregory's real estate on the right, civilian real estate on the left. And way up ahead, two more guys on the next corner, previously the far right, now the near left. (sighs) The car slowed and stopped on the curb. The rear window rolled down and a hand came out and beckoned. The guys on the corner took a step towards it automatically, reflex action. Then they stopped and thought about it, but they didn't change their minds. Why would they? It was their car. And anyone important enough to be out and about during situation C would want to be kept waiting. So they just started up and hustled. Mistake. The front door opened when they were about 10 feet away and Abby stepped out. The rear door opened just as they got there and Reacher stepped out. He headbutted the first to arrive. Barely any effort or movement. All about timing and momentum. Like a soccer forward meeting a hard cross from out wide. The guy went down in the gutter. His head cracked on the curbstone. Not his day. Reacher moved on to the second guy. A face he suddenly realised he knew. From the bar with the tiny pizzas and Abbey waiting tables. The guy on the door. Run along now, kid, he had said to her. I'll see you again, Richard said to him. I hope good things come to those who wait. 
I'm reminded by a tweet from our good friend from Football 365, John Nicholson, uh, in reference to the last passage from Blue Moon, uh, which he said, Out of context, Reacher this week was especially appalling. As Rory said, the sentences often make absolutely no sense and no human has ever spoken like Reacher. Why are they so popular? They have greenlit the Amazon television series. So, so yeah. it's going to be on our screens soon. And we've also had a couple of communications regarding that, one of which in reference to the fact that knowing how difficult Reacher is going to be to cast, they are looking into ways of making their chosen actor look more imposing on screen. And one or two have asked whether there's any way that we can make Chinch a little bit taller to meet little the six-foot, five-inch frame but, of Jack Reacher. I, I, I could. I, I am, in essence, Reacher. But <laughs> like a soccer forward meeting a hard cross. Well, if it had been a left back, it would have been the 5-1, wouldn't it? Yeah, so but I, I never put in a hard cross. I put in a, a sympathetic, considered ball for my striker to attack. He means, I didn't just wallop it in there. He means whip, doesn't he? He means when, when there's so much I, pace on the ball, you just have to jump up and, and divert. A hard cross. That, yeah. that was the cross that you got when you headed in the fifth against Manchester United in not really 1989 not really if it had been that hard I wouldn't have headed it <laughs> so then uh, thank you very much indeed for your latest out of context reacher seppiesmenu at gmail.com if you have any let us talk about captaincy uh, I think it was following all the drama surrounding John Terry his private life his sacking as England captain his replacement by Rio Ferdinand and then his reinstatement following a Ferdinand injury that Fabio Capello mused that English football spent a little bit too much time considering who best should wear the armband for the national team one of the reasons given for such a potential obsession was actually rather clinical. The extra financial benefits and endorsements given to the England captain actually made it a rather important decision to make and that the right player should be on lots of pictures and marketing material produced by the FA. But Capello's position seemed to be, if that was all it was, then fine. But it wasn't, and it continues not to be. The captain is a leader. The captain is a representative. The captain is maybe the best player too. And yet Andy Hinchcliffe was all three and was only once a skipper. So mm. there must be more to it than that. We spoke last week about managerial charisma. Is this the player equivalent of that intangible magic dust? So, captains, what makes a good one? And do we care a little bit too much about the whole thing? Change, when, when were you captain? Uh, I was captain for a Sheffield Wednesday Liverpool match. It was a three-all draw. Michael Owen scored a hat-trick at Hillsborough. How many people But I was only, (laughs) to qualify it, I am not a leader of men. Even I know I'm not a leader of men. It was Peter Atherton, who was the regular Sheffield Wednesday captain, was injured. Des Walker, the second captain, really. He was very rare that he was injured. Was he suspended? Anyway, he was missing as well. So basically, I knew I had a good chance here because the rest of the team, their average age was about 12. But I didn't get... I think Danny Wilson, who was manager at the time, he clearly knew that I would have to be captain because there was nobody else. But he didn't actually tell me until literally we were going to hand the team sheets in. And I was still waiting to find out whether I was going to be captain. And then he kind of said, come on, Andy, then you can be captain. It was like even even his heart wasn't in it. Uh, so again, I didn't know what to do because when you've never done it before, you know, what do you do with the t- going in to see the referee? And Jamie Redknapp, strangely, my, my Sky colleague, was the, was the captain. And he clearly, he clearly knew the role. You know, he with the mascots and everything, knew their names and stuff. And I, was, I had no idea what I was doing. I was completely, it was, I was looking forward to doing it. But then when I, I had to do it, even, you know, shaking hands and tossing, it's harder than it looks, you know, in the middle of the pitch with everyone looking at you. For, for a person like me, that's not really a position I want to be in. So you're describing lots of things that really matter in being a captain. But did you notice yourself a little bit more puffed out chest? A little bit more no. uh, standing a little taller than five foot eight and a half? Not what? <laughs> five foot ten nine. and a half? No, not really, no. It, um, no, it's not, I, I, don't, I don't like to be looked at for direction. Did you feel compelled to, to shout more, to point more, to be more of a talker? Um, it's only one game. And then, uh, well, as soon as the game kicked off, I forgot I was captain anyway. It's just that the, ar- the, the armbands are quite tight, and it kept reminding me, c- cutting off circulation to my left arm. So then I realised, oh, wait a minute, I'm captain. Maybe I should shout at someone. Mm. But uh, clearly I wasn't that great, so I don't think I was in a, in a position to tell anyone what to do. You have, shout- to be, you have to be a quite a good player and, and have a lot of respect from people to be able to be a captain. And I, I didn't really engender that in, in my teammates. It's funny, it's a, a, lot of, a lot of the best captains aren't. Um, Sometimes the captain's your best player, but it's not. Well, yeah, Peter Atherton at Sheffield Wednesday, Dave was Watson at Everton, who was, uh, yeah, he'd done it for a long time. Again, he just kind Peter of... Peter Atherton was not Sheffield Wednesday's best player. No, he wasn't. And, and Dave Watson probably at Everton at that well, time. In, but but what Dave he, Watson was a big figure, wasn't he? He, is a, he was, in every sense, a big figure. 
especially in the showers. But he was, um, no, he was, he's someone again that, that how engendered. That how that's, that's basically how it was chosen. <laughs> F and Koki was captain everywhere he went. Um, but basically, he just engendered respect. And it, it, it wasn't about him being, when I saw Dave Watson after he broke his toe and he had surgery and he came in the following day, with a bit of wire sticking out of his big toe with a cork stuck on the end of it. I thought, this guy's a tough cookie. <laughs> That's not what I would be doing. I would be lying in bed with my, my leg up complaining about it. Like he, just, he was just someone who just, he gave out. Just, he was just a real man, Barry Horn. Mm. These kind of characters who are just... Barry Horn's, That's a, chem- just, Barry Horn's a chemistry teacher. Yeah, but he wasn't when he was playing. Well, no, but he obviously had it. He, he wasn't doubling up. <laughs> he wasn't setting homework and then going and playing a really robust, combative midfield role for Everton. He, he was actually a professional footballer. But, but he had the chemistry teacher in him. Yeah, <laughs> yes, because he'd been to university and studied. Yeah. And then when he retired, he became a chemistry teacher. Yes. Sorry I'm late, Gaffer. Those O-level papers weren't yes. going to mark themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but I just think this... this Horn, why are you messing about <laughs> with magnesium again? <laughs> He used to throw those chalk dusters at people quite a lot. But um, yeah, I, 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 it isn't about being the best player. It, it's about, it is about personality and it's about respect. Does it and matter who the captain is? Did, did you yes, care? I, I, yeah, it's something that, you know, at the time, it, it was just, they are the captain. And mm. even, even if they, you, you forgot that they were, they still were the person that you would turn to in a crisis. That, that's just how these, even the dressing room when he had half-time talks or pre-match, they were always the guys that you would turn and look at. And it's not for the fact they'd done it for a long time, it's just the, their personalities and their presence and their, their reputation. But was that because they were wearing the armband? Or was it like we were talking about last week with managers and charisma? Was it because they were the, the leaders of men in the dressing room? Did, did, more often than not, does a captain reveal themselves rather than being sort of yeah, selected from within yes, the group? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What yeah. happens first? Yeah, it's like me being given captaincy. I, I, I don't really have the traits to be a leader of men. These, they're already like that, these guys. That's why I think it's, it's they, they just fall into these roles. So do they need to be designated captain? Because not necessarily, they are no, already no. Doing and there's, there's like, say, with Des Walker and Peter Atherton at Sheffield Wednesday. Des was, in essence a captain even without the armband because he'd still be the person that he was. So in, in essence, we had two in the team. Peter was the designated captain, and, but, but the way that Des conducted himself... Was that mainly was because, if, because Des wasn't there Monday to Friday? He was there. He was just in so, the treatment room, so not on the training somewhere pitch because you didn't want him out there because he caused too many problems. But again, just, just his general... Just his Great being leadership there. qualities. <laughs> no, Don't have him in training because he causes too many problems. Yeah, and he did shout at the young players quite a lot. Anyway, he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. And that, that's what it is. You could have in that Everton team that we had. There was kind of Joe Parkinson, John Eberle, Barry Horn, Neville Southall. It was full, basically, mm. of captains and me. It, it the dogs of war and the chihuahua of... Of death. death. No, destiny. destiny. Sorry, I'm the chihuahua of destiny, yeah. On a massive tangent... There'll be people under the age of... How, how old do you think you need to be to have seen Des Walker play? Oh, 30, 35? Well, yeah, mid-30s. I mean, I remember him, so I'm, I'm 37. I remember watching Des Walker. Don't, I've got to admit, don't massively remember him at Sheffield Wednesday, but mid-30s. There'll be people listening who never saw Des Walker play, who probably think because he was called Des Walker and was mm. a, an English centre-half in the mm-hmm. 1980s and 90s, that he was awful. Des Walker was a, an absolutely brilliant footballer. And I, I find it slightly odd that Paul McGrath mm-hmm. has... His sort of legend has been burnished a bit after retirement. That we we now think of Paul McGrath as this sort of totemic figure. I think Des Walker was probably a better player. There might be some, something in the unfulfilled in Paul McGrath because of the problems yes, that he had injuries, off the yeah. field. Whereas, whereas Des Walker, well, they, he, he had certain injuries, didn't he? But he, if he was, if Des Walker, you know, we've done this before. Des Walker was playing now, oh. he would be hugely heralded. I would imagine. Des Walker, I would say, I'm going to go. I'm going to go this far. Was a better central defender than Michael Keane. <laughs> you could, if you, if you want to stick praise. your neck out, then that's absolutely fine. Even maybe now. Do, or? We, do we think that the my general take on captaincy would be that that yeah, it kind of came to a head. It, England had always been more obsessed with it than, than everywhere else. It was, a th- and I suspect that's to do with cricket and rugby. I suspect it's to do with the way that we we conceive of the role of captain in in our other national sports. It's obviously in cricket. For those who don't know cricket, the captain helps to s- decide who's standing at gully and who gets to hold the bat and... Are, are you the guy qualified what, to tell us what the cricket captain does? What speed or? the ball travels at or whatever. He's the, the captain's the guy in the hat at the end of the... No, wait, I'm joking. So in cricket, the, the captain has a tactical role and a, 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 I think even now still helps to pick the team. Yeah, yes, uh, it, yeah. many more sort of like Some man management response. But, but yeah, man management do. responsibilities. Yeah. You know, once once the game starts, they are very much the authoritative figure leading the team. And so I think that in football, because we had a sporting culture that where cricket 
predates football predate predates football effectively and in rugby it's similar that in rugby the captain has a, a much larger role to play it's basically an honorary position in in football but we've always attributed it attributed much more importance to it here than in other countries so in italy famously the, the captain of a team tends to be the person who's been there the longest or played the most times for the national team. It's, it is seen as an honorary position. Like you, you get it's to be the captain. Seniority. It's, it's, a, it's a confirmation of seniority. Yes. I, it, that, that whole kind of culture, the Capello incident was a well-chosen starting point. The, the Capello-Terry incident exposed that, that cultural schism between us and the rest of Europe, effectively. And I think, my instinct is that it's changed a lot in England in the, I mean, that would be... 12... It was 2011. Oh, so nine years ago. So I think in the, in, over the last decade, we've probably got rid of quite a lot of our qualms about the importance of the captaincy. I would say there are still some old-fashioned fans, journalists, who think it's incredibly important, but I think... I'm going to make a confession. Who is Tottenham's captain? Harry Kane. Luis. Luis. Oh, is. Who is England's captain? Harry, Harry Kane. Kane. Yeah. The, I, this is I, fun. <laughs> I'm not. Let's just do this for the rest of the pod. I'm not 100 certain on, on on who the captain of a lot of the. Who's the Man City captain? Fernandinho. No, David Silva. David Silva. Liverpool's captain is Henderson. But a lot of them, you you kind of don't know anymore. But it's not necessarily for public consumption. It's in the dressing room. If players and players do have the meetings where they try and sort things out amongst themselves, that's when a captain can lead the role. In, in that as well as it has to play a, a big part in getting the players together away from the necessarily the coaching staff. There's so some there is within the dressing room. It's still, I think, it's still quite an important. And there's some functional stuff, role. isn't there? You know, distribution of tickets for for players' families. Oh and yeah, the PFA yeah. Stuff there's, there's, and all that. That's the really serious stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, there's a risk. Sure the going the right so envelopes. You're, but you're it's an administrative position. Yeah, but it is. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> they have a secretary. There was a brilliant. Have we talked about what Micah Richard said about company and and discipline? Uh, I don't think we have on the pod, no. no so I, We've I spoken did, about uh, that show for different reasons, I yeah. think. So I did Five Live with Michael Richards about six weeks ago, and maybe a bit more, when Ian Wright was in the jungle. And, uh, and Mike is brilliant. Mike, like uh, Simon, who provided the... Um, the Outer Context Reacher. The Outer Context Reacher, lives in Harrogate now, Mike. Um, so I does think, Danny Mills. I think, I think Mike, so does Gareth Southgate, near, or near, he lives at Fewston, which is near Harrogate. Um, I think Mike is ambivalent about Harrogate, because Harrogate, although it's very nice, is a bit stuffy. Uh, and Mike is not a very stuffy person. But he, Mike was talking about, um, about discipline within the city squad when he was there and talked about how it was basically company's job to, to impose discipline. So if players were late for meetings or you know, had their phone turned on over lunch or whatever stupid things that footballers aren't allowed to do, um, it, company had to levy the fines effectively and company tried to, um, to force Mike as vice captain to be his henchman the company, <laughs> Vincent Company, who's 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 you know dressed up as this kind of the ultimate gentleman of football, this intellectual, blah blah blah, basically would, was was a bit too much of a coward to do it himself. So trying to get Mike to go and get so money. So Gromit to his Wallace. Yeah, to try to so trying to get Mike to go and get money off Balotelli because Balotelli had I mean he, I mean mm. done whatever he'd done that day, driven his car into the swimming pool or whatever. But Mike said that company... Is he a member of Pink Floyd? That's <laughs> <laughs> Mario Balotelli. You can basically say what you like. It's probably true. The, um, that's what I read, wrote next piece about Mario Balotelli. Exposing that as a myth, actually. Just w- a few were you waiting ago. for us to say that? No. <laughs> There's a small gap. I know. Anybody going to jump in? What no. not to expect. Um, but anyway, Mike said that the company kept like these ring binders full of who'd paid and what the offences were. And he had, and they used to occasionally, when they thought... Sort of the tyrannical reign of Vincent Company was going too far. They'd go and steal all his paperwork that he kept in his locker, and that was Vincent Company's interpretation of captaincy. It was basically a, it was like a tax collection role. That was how Vincent, what, what Vincent uh, Company saw as administrative role. Yeah. But, but some of the fines were astronomical, weren't they? They ran into to hundreds, even thousands, thousands of pounds. What was Mike <laughs> supposed to do? You know, was Mario Balotelli walking around with ten grand on him to to pay for the fact that he'd driven his car into well, him? Was, <laughs> well, I just was just going to I wonder like where the window cleaners yeah. got all those little machines. Yeah. Yeah. Balotelli was once stopped <laughs> because he had something like two hundred grand worth of cash in the in the boot of his car. So maybe, maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe he was on his way to pay company off. Fines. Yeah. The, um, I do wonder whether maybe whether whether company sort of issued Mike with a chip with with a with a card reader, and he just had to go and just just tap here. But then all the fi- there was, it, that was on the back of um, a, com- a, a thing that came out about Lampard's disciplinary regime at Chelsea, and the fines are like it's it's hundreds of pounds for relatively minor things. It's still hundreds of pounds, 
But it's like it, they, do, they do up to like 10 grand for things that are perceived as major. Uh, so I think that Manchester United had £500 fine for being late for training in the morning because once we were interviewing Edward van der Sar and we had to hurry because he would have been fined if he had gone too long with us yeah. and not got, in, got into the training ground dressing room by 5 to 10, for example. And I think you said the, the, the fine back then and that would have been 2009, 2008, 2009, something like that, was £500. So that's, that's at Manchester United, the most successful team in the land. But I think, so I, think I mean, inflation. I know. Yeah, so you'd expect it to be at least £510 now. Um, I think the captains probably do have, at most clubs, a disciplinary role that they do not like, and that you maybe have to be the right sort of person to to be able to carry that out. Wasn't without that Everton deep and, and deep Wednesday, they, they, Peter Everton and uh, Dave Watson, they didn't stoop. They, they didn't, didn't have ring binders, put no. it that way, no. No, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, it was, it was no. Because I, I wanted to pick on something else Rory said about how the, the whole Terry, England, Capello mm. thing had sort of maybe lessened how we view the role of captaincy. But to contradict that, the situation at Arsenal at the beginning of this season, the utter omni-shambles over Unai Emery, yep. sort of almost putting the decision about who was going to be the Arsenal captain out to committee. I mean, it was it was a bit like sort of, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's decision-making process, wasn't it? That it had to be sort of had to go out to the wider party to to come up with a solution. And, and in the end... Unai Emery won the argument, so... <laughs> he, he won the argument, but the outcome, Granite Shaka, was not satisfactory for anybody. No, Arsenal... Have, but, I mean, that, that, that to me... I know what you mean. That The Arsenal situation is slightly different because it's... It, it, at that stage, it was such an omni-shambles of a club that... But it, it still was, shone a light I, on the, the, on the significance of, of that role and the importance, certainly the fans, attributed to who was captain. Yes. And the fact that they saw That's that true. as a weakness within the coach, the, that he wasn't yeah. able to either make a decision or ultimately come to what would have been the right decision. And how it can go wrong if you Get mishandle the, yeah. The, yeah. the nature of either the choice or the person that you eventually but go, you go to choose. I think that's quite a sensible way of choosing the captain, isn't it? Asking, asking the players, asking the players who they vote. Think, who, who didn't they, they think do that with captain? David Silver at City? Didn't they? Didn't they let, let them decide on who should be the captain? I'm sure when Company left, Guardiola said it's not up to me to dictate. It's right, the so players have to decide themselves who they the, want to captain them. Here's the point about Vincent Company that that Manchester City. One of the reasons that is given for their lack of ability to maintain their success over this season thus far is because they lack a leader mm. or leaders. But most importantly, they're their biggest leader, not only in his position at central defence, which is much talked about, and yes, they are lacking in that area, partly because also of the injuries that they've suffered, but it is, from what I understand, the leadership that he provided has not been replaced. And that is why Pep Guardiola was desperate for him to stay another year. Not necessarily that he would play that much, but because he felt that there might be a vacuum created. And not necessarily a vacuum that has been taken advantage of by anybody, but simply that the leaders of the club that are in the dressing room right now are leaders by example and not necessarily leaders in the more traditional sense. And that has been one of the things that has very much undermined their efforts this season. So I think maybe the, the problem is that there's a, a, different, a differentiation that, that maybe gets lost, a, a slight nuance, which is that who is wearing the armband during a game is probably, in the grand scheme of things, not that significant. No, because that's different to a club captain, because yeah. the club captain might not necessarily always play. What I think is probably really important is having not just one club captain, but a group of two or three captains. So at Barcelona, I think they have four. There, yeah. there they, are four they, had, they had four at City Yeah, and when, when company was there. And I think basically, that base not, there's no point defending Unai Emery now, but... It's a, it's a lost cause. But I, I wonder whether that's what Emery was going for. He wanted a group of captains, which seems to be the kind of more modern thing. And you, you, you need players with those characteristics. I think that is either unchanged or probably might even be more pronounced now than it used to be. What matters less is that kind of, I get to hand out the pennant at the start of the match. That isn't, the, the identity of the player doing that is insignificant because it could be Chinch. Do you know what and, I mean? And that, that makes the point more strenuously than I mean, anybody is, is that the, What date would that game have been? Sheffield Wednesday, Liverpool, Michael Owen... Uh, 99-ish? Yes, 2000-ish, yes. Yeah, that yes, might have yes, been yes, the date yes, the yes. captaincy died. It, yes. <laughs> but that's why, but that, if, if, if you've got someone like Guardiola, who basically is in charge of everything, why does he again see the value of, or, or what, what does he see the role of a captain providing? It, it's when he's not there mm. and the players are together, whether it be socially or not, he wants somebody in that dressing room that will still be able to influence those players in the right way. And Guardiola so is famous for staying out of that dressing yes. room a lot more than others would. Yes. So clearly there is 
there are more situations in which he would need somebody so to that's, provide that, that role. So that's when that role becomes really important when the players are left to their own devices. They've still got someone who's in control and say, I think when Zabaleta left and then when company left, they lost a lot of what was intrinsically City said, this is what it means to play for this club. And they, anybody coming in, I think Zabaleta and company would have made it pretty clear about what the demands are. You know when you're playing for Guardiola anyway, but amongst the players, this is what we still need to do, even if he's not there. And always feel that the, the most successful teams have any number of potential captaincy mm. candidates. In fact, they do. They have multiple leaders on the pitch. And Liverpool, let's use the example of the current Premier League leaders. Henderson might be the player wearing the armband, but it wouldn't look out of place on any number of other players that are regularly in that starting lineup. You wouldn't be stunned, you know, Van Dyke suddenly wearing the armband, Allison, Salah, Milner. They, they are, it has less significance be... on the pitch. It's actually, as Roy was saying, yeah. it's, it's away from that and actually the responsibility and how they can kind of keep all the players together off the pitch, which is really important. In a yeah, those, those players are all providing leadership in different ways. So it does become a lot more ceremonial yeah. in regards to Henderson being the Liverpool captain. But the, to, to come back to Emery and Arsenal, the reason that that sort of committee approach didn't yeah. work is because there was nobody revealing, not, not, there wasn't even one person revealing themselves as being the most suitable con- candidate, let alone numerous possibilities. In fact, some of those players who should have been leadership contenders were actually shirking that sort of responsibility so whereas in the Manchester City dressing room it might Pep Guardiola stepping away and saying lads you sort this out amongst yourselves is all well and good because these are winners these players have got used to winning and who's wearing the armband probably isn't as significant as who is leading by example on the field whereas at Arsenal these are not players yeah. who are winning at the moment. So somebody at some point needs to take control of that situation. And it, and it takes personality as well. The, 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 the Fabio Capello era for England was an era where they had lots of Strong leadership qualities uh, within that team. Lampard and Gerrard were, were in that team as well. So clearly that, that he was a little bit baffled that he had to single somebody out from that group of players. It might have been a different situation if, for example, John Terry was the only player yeah. who mm-hmm. displayed any leadership quali- qualities and he would probably have seen the significance a little bit more in that, in that certain the, si- there is situation. Another, there is another change, though, that, that I think is probably related to this, and that's the rise of the, kind of the, the manager who solves everything, of which Guardiola is the best example, but he's not the only one. That We increasingly look to managers now as we talked about this before, as kind of messianic figures who, who have their fingers in every pie, who will solve every problem, who, who make all the decisions. Players, I think, increasingly are taught, especially those who are coming, who've come through academy level in the last 10, 15 years, maybe 10 years, are taught that their job is to do what the coach tells them. And you speak to, I've spoken to quite a lot of players recently who say that part of the problem is that there's a lot of players who, who can't make decisions for themselves on the pitch, that if you look at teams that normally are, you know, are used to winning comfortably, if they, if they find that things are going wrong with, in whatever context, because of the manager's system basically isn't working, which all great managers will find that occasionally the systems don't work, they don't quite, they're so kind of institutionalised into the, the manager doing the thinking, they're not quite sure how to react in that situation. So as we've become more reliant or more more familiar with the idea that the managers will solve all of the problems, that they, that they are the brains and the players are the arms and legs. You wonder whether the role of captaincy ha- has by, na- by, by necessity become a bit more ceremonial because Jordan Henderson's a great captain. Jordan Henderson is a great captain for Liverpool. He leads by example. He works hard. He's an international. He's got all the... You know, he ticks all the boxes. You saw him coming off after the, the Spurs game, when it was Liverpool had won you know, one, of, one of the hardest away games of the season. Liverpool win 1-0. And you see Henderson very clearly saying to... Klopp, that wasn't good enough, it was shit, just the, perform- the performance hadn't been great, he has that drive, all that stuff you'd want. But Jordan Henderson is carrying out Klopp's instructions on the pitch. I'm not convinced, and I don't want to kind of speak ill of him, but I, I doubt Jordan Henderson is saying, actually, do you know what, you need to sit there for 10 minutes while, while, the, while they attack down the left, because we need, we need, we no, need a bit of... No, that's what I'm saying, on, on a match day, the coach will be in charge, the captain will be saying, tactically we should be doing... No, the coach you were playing, be doing yes. Roy Keane, who you famously shut down in the 1995 yeah, Cup yeah, final. Yeah, he's never recovered. When he, was, um, when he was captain of Manchester United, I suspect Roy Keane was saying to players, right, this is the broad plan of the match... But for the next five minutes, 
you need to come a bit deeper to help me out in this situation. Which is a, a rugby captain's role, for yeah. example. They do do kind of those minor tactical switches. Kick but it you, forward. You are talking this about... This time, let's kick it forward. Or pass After it back. That, why, why don't we kick it forward again? But the, let's the, try kicking the, it forward. That is the... You the, run into that bloke there. <laughs> and then not, we'll all pile I'm in. I'm not rising to this. I'm not rising to this. And if we're lucky, we'll get some forward momentum. I've, yeah. already, I've already tried to move it on. Carry on. Time. Just move it on, Hugh. Move it on now. Um, but otherwise, just boot it forward. The Collapse the scrum. <laughs> Collapse the scrum again. And then, let's choose, all just, let's then choose whether you want another scrum because right. it's a penalty. Hang let's on, don't join in with them. <laughs> Stop nobody, them. Nobody really knows what you can and can't do anyway, so no. let's just wait and see whether the referee spots something he doesn't like the look of. All fall down together. <laughs> now get up again. All fall down together. Have you it's finished? A, it's a dreadful sport. You, you are talking, Roy, there about uh, an excellent sport in rugby. You are talking about the, ma- the, the manager on the field, which is yeah. tactically of significance when you speak about uh, Roy Keane, but also he, he is that bridge to the manager off the field. So we've talked, well, we've talked last week about the, the, the charisma of a manager providing a bridge to the playing staff. That is the connection that they have. Now, if you have within that playing staff somebody that you have that relationship with who can then, whether it's somebody that you've uh, been at the club with previously or somebody you've just got on side, somebody you connect with personally, anything like that, clearly having that player mm-hmm. who sits between, it sometimes can be a player liaison guy, it can be a coach, it was Mikel Arteta at Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, that was one of the reasons why he wanted him within that structure and so managers like Pep Guardiola, the do-all manager, clearly thought that that was something of value. So to have somebody to sit betwixt and between <laughs> the players and the management staff that's really important and it just but, might be that they are the captain. But is it less likely to happen as Roy's saying if these kids are coming through the academy being told every second of their days what they're to do mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to think for themselves they're not going to become captain material or care about the players as a separate entity because basically the coach is doing everything for us in training when we're sitting having meals when we're playing you're actually producing people that, that won't be able to think for themselves and think actually as a group of players we are a separate entity and at times we do have to kind of manage ourselves and that's when normally people come to the fore and maybe it is you'll all in every group of men or in every, every team sport you're going to get someone who does think we, we've got to be better than this and actually then steps forward and then becomes the link so what, but actually what, if the coaches are just dealing with all the players and doing everything for them that isn't necessarily good because in the end no one needs to no one player needs to stand up and say well I need to act as the bridge between coach and bunch of players because there isn't a bridge it's, we're all one basically the coach is doing everything but there there are those players who do that even in the modern era where they are being mollycoddled to a certain extent so what makes those players do that is it somebody who thinks I'm more intelligent than everybody else. It's their personalities. Bigger, bigger picture. Is I it somebody who might be a power-hungry megalomaniac? They, they might want to have... Like Peter Atherton. Like Peter oh, Atherton, He, he wants to take over the world. He really so did. Yeah. those people are doing it for that reason mm. because they that's, want to have something to yeah. contribute or yeah. something to be in charge of. So mm. that it's not necessarily a positive reason for it, but it might engender positive relationships uh, around the club. So what, what makes those players come through if they are not like... Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi, the obvious best player, mm-hmm. and they are both and have been both captains of their team. I, I'm just going to say that's why Peter Atherton sat in the leather chair and stroked the white cat. He wanted yeah. to take over the world. But I, I don't, I, maybe these just, it's just, it is just their personalities yeah. that eventually come through. And they can't help. The self produced captains uh, are the best ones. It has to be inherently in them as a person. Endowed. It's not, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily being the best. Sometimes the best players aren't the, the very rarely in many ways sometimes it, out on the pitch is to have Ronaldo as your captain whether he's actually doing a captain's job off the pitch he is your figurehead as your superstar player that may, makes sense to maybe make him your captain because the fans would probably expect that as well mm. but actually it's not as important I feel on the pitch it is that guy in the dressing room if the players are allowed to self-govern then someone or someone would always naturally step forward because of their personality it was never in me I just never thought I had the authority or the respect to actually do who would I wouldn't listen to me uh, yeah, it's a great way of advertising the podcast <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. but Lionel Messi oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but, now, but now I would such oh, value wow oh goodness me I'm such drag um, Lionel Messi man v fat is a <laughs> Lionel Messi is, is one player who is the best player but also plays that role because he has a significant off-field role that he plays in. Yeah, he chooses, in, the, chooses in, the team yes, and the manager. chooses yeah. the team and the manager. So he, he contributes in, in all those ways. Now, he wouldn't have done necessarily the first time he was made captain. I imagine that that would have been because he was the best player or Javi wasn't playing that day. But the, the role 
for Lionel Messi is is all encompassing. Well, that, he is able to tick all of those boxes. Do you know what? When when, when you suggested captaincy as an issue, I was a little bit underwhelmed. I thought I don't have any, any anything interesting or insightful to say on captaincy, and I like to think that over the last half an hour I've proved that. But <laughs> the the um, there is something. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So Chinch is right. Like Ronaldo is captain of Portugal and Messi is captain of Argentina, partly because their federations have to do whatever they can to keep them happy. Partly because they are the best player and they lead by example. So if you are, if you are, I don't know, another Portuguese footballer, Ricardo Caresma, and you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, you, you think, thought what might have, might have been. That's what does Caresma have charisma? He probably does. <laughs> that was last he? week. Uh, the He's too busy practicing his Rabonas his to worry Rabonas. too much about. He yeah. of the Rabona to worry um, about Ricardo Caresma looks at Cristiano Ronaldo and thinks, "I am more talented than that man, but okay, he's had quite a good career." And I will therefore kind of follow his lead. He said, that, that is a thing, leading by example. Totally get that. But in the kind of super, in the superstar age, and I guess we saw it most clearly with Neymar when he was captain of Brazil, in the superstar age, a lot of it, I think, is to do with the captain, at, when they're a, a player of that level, probably has even more power than the Roy Keane captain, the kind of iconic Brian, Captain Marvel, Brian mm-hmm. Robson type captain. Because Messi, Ronaldo, people like Neymar, they can get their mates into the team. They can, they can say to the coach, I don't want that player in, or I, more, more, more often than not, it's I want that player in. So there's, there's, quite a few, pr- quite, mm, there's quite a few pretty good Argentinian strikers who've not, not really played that much for the, for the national team over the last few years because Lionel Messi would prefer somebody else. Um, they, they probably have, there'll be a sponsorship element in terms of you have to keep the sponsors happy, which means that they have to be kind of front and, and centre. Which is why the FA wanted somebody um, with... Uh, the, the correct reputation to be yeah. the England captain, which is why John yeah. Terry was originally stripped yes. of that captain. Which is important, but, each, uh, but I think the power of the, of the player at that level now outstrips anything we've probably seen before in terms of, in terms of yeah, like I think Tata Martino may have got the Argentina job as coach because there was a, a, there was a suggestion that, that, that Messi wanted him. Barcelona and Argentina both definitely run their managerial choices past Messi. No question about that. I'd be really surprised if Juve hadn't checked with Ronaldo whether Maurizio Sarri was okay to a point last summer, and I would have thought that... Well, I'm quite surprised that Ronaldo said yes to that. Yeah, it's a little bit... They don't seem like natural footballing bedfellows, do they? But then I'd I'd be staggered if if Agnelli hadn't, or someone hadn't said to Ronaldo, is this okay? Or this is who we're appointing, what do you think? You presume that Ronaldo said, oh, yeah, all right, well... The alternative might have been somebody that he didn't want, so that's true. that might be how that happens. But these are the megalomaniacs and also the best players. They are megalomaniacs, not necessarily because they want to take over the world like Peter Atherton mm. notably did, mm-hmm. but because they want to be front and centre of everything because they have um, high levels of self-regard. But it's not even that. I think it's just that we've swi- we, there's been a switch in focus, hasn't there, from it, everything has become about an individual, much, much less than about a kind of collective unit. So whether that's the, the all-purpose, the all-purpose, all-seeing manager who makes every decision on the pitch and the runs that you make are defined by the manager, or whether it's that the face of a franchise effectively is an individual and that individual has to be kept happy. To be fair, whether they wear the armband or not, Ronaldo is not Juventus' captain. No. Um, and he wasn't Real Madrid's. And he wasn't Real Madrid's captain, but he did, he did have, a hand, have a part to play in deciding who the manager might be at Real Madrid, without, again, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, he's Portugal's captain, as Messi is Argentina's captain, and those players have to be kept happy. You can't, you, you can't do anything to upset them, which means that, all right, they're, not, they're probably not in either of those cases, kind of making tactical decisions. I, Messi certainly isn't a talker. He's not a kind of a, a sort of tub-thumping speech in the dressing room before, before the game kind mm-hmm. of guy. And I don't think Ronaldo is either, particularly. Um, in fact, as we saw in the World Cup uh, in, in, 20, in 2018, it wasn't the French captain giving those inspi- inspiring speeches, it was Paul Pogba, mm-hmm. that he was the, the guy who talked. But I think with... Um, who was the French captain in 2018? Lloris, was it Lloris? Yes. Hugh Lloris, World Cup winning captain. Yeah. Who'd have thought? Well, there you go. It's even as, that's almost as bad as Chinch being captain for a day. Um, the that's hard. That, that, that was it, a, even for a day. That's for a for, that was withering. An that's, hour and a half. That's harsh on Hugh Lloris, who was who was a a very nice man, b very intelligent, and c hmm. um, better it, than Chinch. He's prob- no, he's probably <laughs> he's probably quite a good candidate to be a, a kind of a safety captain almost, like just a guy that no one can really object to, plus he's a goalkeeper, which, which, which helps in some people's minds. But the, the overall thing is that we are more, to summarise my long-winded argument, we, are, we, are, we focus now on the individuals, whether that's the manager having all of the power or making sure you keep a player happy, which means that p- players like Messi and Ronaldo are not only making 
are not only given the power of being captains, but they have power of team selection. They are kind of becoming cricket captains. Uh, the, uh, given that we've just been speaking about how it doesn't necessarily matter quite as much who wears the armband on the field, uh, Rory just alluded to the, the goalkeeper position being one of value if you're choosing a captain because seeing the field and to say the same about defenders. Uh, is, is that of any relevance or is that, that a myth, Chinch? Because if the position of being captain on the field isn't as important as being anyone can be captain what they what they do off the field yeah then does it matter what it really matters it, it really matters what's being done off the field so it doesn't so, matter that you're a centre-back and you can see the field no because again I don't think it was even like that back in my day but it's certainly not now that the, the captains aren't going to have any role in the tactics or substitutions it's going to be down to the coach so again it is a bit more of a a ceremonial role so that is an outdated and somewhat mythical yeah. Yeah, even, even yeah. I, I never thought. I just I've always thought the captains on the pitch, yeah, they can lead by example, but they they weren't really in charge of what was going on. So I remember when Alan Shearer it's, became it's England more captain. Off, it's more it was, off the field. It was like what a centre forward. That doesn't make any sense. How can they see the field and make and make decisions yeah, what, during okay, the game? Because they're not. So it doesn't. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't make any difference where you play because you're not making the tactical decisions. Someone overseeing the game. You can't. You're playing one. No, no one position can say. Well, I'm playing so brilliantly. I'm going to decide on what our left winger should be doing. Yeah. You just. It's hard enough get doing your own job well. That's why the coaches and the an- analysts oversee and make the decisions for you because you can't see everything. Final point about captaincy. When Wayne Rooney played that game that you covered, Derby against Barnsley, it was his first game in charge. Yep. Curtis Davis had been the Derby captain, yep. and when Rooney came, comes in for the first game he has made the captain yeah do you care about that was that a stupid decision is that something that is providing Wayne Rooney with too much of a pat on the back is it unnecessarily harsh on Curtis Davis or does nobody really well, care Philip, Philip really Koku said it, it made sense to make Wayne Rooney the captain because of the career that he's had I, I would disagree with that I'm not sure I don't know Rooney as a character would he have said I I need to be captain. I have to be captain. I'm not sure he would have done, but again, with the circumstances of him arriving at Derby, whoever's involved in bringing him to Derby would want him again doing the coin toss, leading the team out because we don't Visual. want him fifth or sixth. Yes, for the, for the whole story. So I, I would, and at the time, I, I, we, we were talking about this and saying this, this doesn't fit right for me I, again, but we knew it's probably the narrative that they wanted was to have Wayne Rooney front and centre because of the reasons you talked about with Messi and Ronaldo. It's because it was the big story. And even during the course of the game, everything revolved around mm. Wayne Rooney because it was such a big story for the, for the championship, the biggest individual we've ever had. I understand all that. But in terms of the Bigger dressing room, I think probably, yeah I'd, yeah, I'd say it is. And that's a bold statement. But for the dressing room, um, and knowing Curtis Davis, he's done some work with us and I can see why he is a captain. Again, his personality I'm sure he would, he, he, against Wayne Rooney, and you kind of understand it, but I'm not sure that is a, that's a good decision for the dressing room. That, but, that could come back to bite them a little bit. But in your, in your assessment of what makes a captain, what doesn't make a captain, actually, it doesn't really matter that Wayne Rooney was given the armband on that day because Curtis Davis is still going to be doing the important stuff of captaincy. But is he? But the is he? But what, the thing is, does that change? With Wayne, Wayne Rooney now being the captain, does Curtis Davis then say, well, actually, do I take a back seat now over to Wayne? He's the one that's got to do the, the team talks and, and be the first person to stand up because, in essence... I'm not the captain anymore. That that baton has been passed again. It do, it doesn't. Do, it's not good for the dressing room when when these things happen. A lot of people from the outside would say, "Well, yeah, of course, he's superstar player career he's had." But it it's the players in the dressing room. That's why I say it's so important. It's not actually what happens on the pitch. It's what it does to the dressing room, and that can actually detract massively because again, it is a bit of a slap in the face for Kier. it's unnecessary in my eyes as well. Because I'm sure Rooney wouldn't have complain but he probably had no choice this is what's going to happen we need this to be the case because of the of the bigger story here well given that uh, Andrew has just wrapped up the main part of the podcast uh, we're going to give him a rest this week because it is now time for never mind Jack and Rory what a soccer story from Rory it's a soccer Rory it's a soccer Rory this is when Rory Smith tells us a tale from his uh, journalistic days ah, with all are, adult behaviour which are still ongoing which are still ongoing <laughs> and libel worthy details removed yeah, well, basically, the only one that Chinch would think of this week was, was far too sexually explicit, so we think it's not really appropriate. So I'm going to step in with a slightly worse story, but one that is, su- one that is suitable for all audiences. Not at all sexual in any way. Um, and it, we mentioned Mario Balotelli. We did, we did. So Perfect uh, which, captaincy material. Which yep. reminded me, uh, that the, I went to Brescia before Christmas to... And wrote an excellent piece. And that's where, piece I, that's where I jumped in. Mm. Uh, the... Uh, about Mario Balotelli and his return home, but it reminded me of the fact that I have met Mario Balotelli on a couple of occasions when he was at Manchester City. And I actually always found him very very personable. He's a, ni- he's a nice, smart, funny guy. Uh, but the, in, the incident I remember was 
at a, a some sort of hospice where City sent their players generally around Christmas to do kind of appearances and they did some fundraising stuff and they, they met they met the kids there and it was Francis House it's called I I'm happy to plug it I said well I, I, I would be too but I'm not 100% certain it was Francis House I'm, I'm it, 99.9% fact, sure Hugh, Hugh Ferris there is a chance you were there in your previous life I might have been what year was it I think it would probably be 2011 then no Okay. It would if it. Twenty ten was the last year, and I don't think it, was Balotelli there in twenty ten. Yes, he he was signed in the summer of twenty ten, wasn't he? Yeah, it might be twenty ten. So if it was twenty ten, it would have been. I would might have been there. Yes. Is there more to this story as to just, uh, Hughes' whereabouts <laughs> around about the 2010-2011 season? Twenty eleven. No. So basically, we um, a few a few journalists were invited down to speak to Balotelli and to do what I think must have been his first kind of roundtable print interview. And the the deal is always that you have to plugged the charitable cause that um that which i am happy to do that and which now nine years later we are doing <laughs> um, so anyway we um they are still doing excellent work it, yes. it was around the time that all those stories were emerging about balotelli i suspect it was before the fireworks but it was which around, was not him by the way around the time that the story about which which you mentioned of him driving around with loads of money in his boot and there were all these kind of faintly apocryphal stories of things that these crazy things that mario balotelli was doing in manchester i remember i'd seen him at the training ground literally drive his car up to the at, at carrington city's old training ground the car park ended literally at the at the, at the electronic doors for the main entrance and balotelli didn't bother with a parking space he just drove his car literally to the main entrance blocked it and then got out and went into training late but anyway, so we, we did this interview and it was, it was fine. Balotelli's English was fantastic. But being a journalist, you want to try and build a bit of a bond with, with your subjects. Over what, what did you do? Over whatever you can. So I remember t- running into Andy Carroll when he first signed for Liverpool. And I'd lived in Newcastle, so I t- had a chat with him about, about living in... I lived in Wall's End for a little bit and about Newcastle and what a great night out it was. And you exchange numbers and you, you text them and about three months later they reply mm-hmm. and... So I thought, well, I might as well try it with Balotelli. So I had a little chat with him in Italian, which is, a, a, on a normal level, is a horrendous show-off, what a <laughs> move. But in the context to try and turn this person to your favour is, is, is useful. It, it I, is a gamble worth taking, that's you, for sure. You, you, have to, you have to put yourself out, out there a little bit. I remember with Pochettino, I did an, an interview with Pochettino when he was at Southampton through a translator with another journalist and after about 10 minutes decided this is going far too slowly and the translation's not really good so just spoke to Pochettino in Spanish and after that point for the next like eight years Pochettino and I had a decent relationship just he knew he remembered he wouldn't have had a clue I worked for or what my name was but he remembered me as the reporter who spoke Spanish which is good it's useful so Balotelli and I have a little chat and I um, at, at some point in it I mentioned that something to do with Jermaine Pennant. Jermaine Pennant had recently left a car at Zaradotha train station and forgotten about it. He'd parked his car at Zaradotha train station, just left it there, and I think had returned to England to sign for Stoke. Was it a Porsche that left it? Yeah, it was a Porsche, Porsche. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember. I, I can't remember for the life of me quite how we got onto it. The, the Pennant story was fascinating because people people said, oh, "We found your car." Yeah, and he at, at, in Zaragoza station. He goes, "No, it's not my car." He just had no. He, he wasn't so much he'd forgotten he'd parked it there. He denied that when the car had been found there, that it belongs to him. He'd forgotten he had a car. <laughs> anyway, I, I can't remember what the segue was into it, but I, I ended up telling Balotelli this story. And this was Mario Balotelli who drove around with two hundred grand in cash in his boo, and who would soon, you know, would be, soon be cast as this crazy "Why Always Me" character. Mm-hmm. And Mario Balotelli stood there in Francis House, probably mouth open, going, "No, no." He left the car as though this was a, was a sort of scale of stupidity, <laughs> even t- too much for him to contemplate. And eventually, he, he, I think he got called away by the press officer, and he just sort of shook, shook his head and went, that's a crazy story, and left. And I remember thinking, if Mario Balotelli thinks it's that bad, then it really, then yeah. Jermaine Pennant is an idiot. <laughs> that does not reflect well on no. Jermaine at all, does it? Anyway, so that's my Mario Balotelli story. Oh, and is your Italian, is it good? It was better then, it's a bit rusty now. It's, it's fine, yeah. I, can, I can interview in Italian. It's, I, have, I have football Italian. I'm just isn't how you got onto Jermaine Pennant leaving. I that's, it's odd the, the tangents that conversations take, especially in Italian. Well, especially when you're trying to, trying to make a fo- basically trying to make a footballer like you in quite a pathetic way. And did you exchange numbers? Uh, we didn't. Yeah. We, we, got, we got on in, in that... Balotelli did not want to be friends with the press, but we always sort of, you know, he would always kind of acknowledge me. He wasn't as much of a friend as Yaya, 
whose house I went to. You've been to Yaya's house. So, um, next week, I'll do my Yaya Torre story. Coming up next week. And of course, you would have never got the interview in Brescia before Christmas if you hadn't have uh, set those important foundations up back in the well, given that winter Mario, of 2010. Given that Mario refused to um, speak to me, which means there was no quotes from him in the article, which means you haven't read it. Uh, <laughs> oh, every, no, I just read it before every, Christmas. Everyone's now offended. Mm. Uh, if you have any soccer stories, the likes of which uh, Rory would be proud of and Chinch would disregard on account of not being sexualized enough, send them to <laughs> setpiecemenu at gmail.com. And also, don't forget if you have a reach novel open it take a photo and send it to us Andy will read it we had one today please subscribe share rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue finding room for us in your podcast schedule thank you to Rory Stephen and Andy to you all for listening we'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed it was over a month ago I read that article I can't remember that he you didn't don't have contribute to read, no and one, that is the excellent it. subterfuge of the writer to give the impression that he has contributed when in fact he has absolutely not Tariq had written some unbelievable stuff in the New York Times around about this so I'd used up all my free articles yes, before I got yeah. to three, Rory's piece three on Brescia or three a month or something like that sorry, I never sorry know. it just Rory. runs out very very quickly Tariq's prolific attention to Rory now Rory is going to conduct an interview on another podcast yeah, in the same room he's doing it in our faces basically he's answered the call from another podcast in front of us well, it, the lack of respect Can is, I say, is alarming. Rory Smith is not captaincy material. He, who would be? Ca- Steve would be captain, wouldn't he? Steve would definitely be captain. Steve would be captain. You, you'd, you'd, want, you'd want to be second captain. No, I wouldn't want to be. I'm like you, Chish. I would not want to be in any position of decision-making mm. power or influence or anything. I would just like to sit at the back, stab mm. people in the back and snipe about everybody else. Yeah. I, I'm going to start collecting fines, by the way. <laughs> I have a ring binder. Hang on a minute. Last, last week you were late. And this week... We started without you, so... 500 pounds, please! (laughs)